week, I think some of you know, we finished our study of the seven churches of Revelation. You also remember, if you were here last week, that the final church mentioned in the list of churches was that of Laodicea. And we know that, like all the other churches, the Lord made this clear, that he knew their works, that he was keenly aware of what was taking place there in the church family, there in the church body. And like Sardis, God or the Lord did the exact same thing to the believers of Laodicea. He said nothing positive about that assembly of believers. He said nothing uh, encouraging to them. It was straight to the rebuke that the church deserved. And the Lord said of the believers there of Laodicea that they were not cold, neither were they hot, but they were lukewarm, which meant they were indifferent. They had no zeal. They had no passion. Apparently, what the church was doing is they were simply going through the religious motions every week. So there wasn't any desire, there wasn't any anxiety, there wasn't any passion to achieve more, to do more, to see people accomplish more in their Christian life. They were completely indifferent toward the things of God. And the Lord said, I would rather you were cold than to be indifferent. I would rather you not have any interest in the things of God than for you to be lukewarm. And as a result, the Lord said, because of their indifference, he was going to spew them out, which literally means he was going to vomit them or to discharge the contents of his stomach. And he said the reason for their lukewarmness and the reason for their indifference was because of their prosperity or because of their wealth. He said that they were rich, and it was because of their riches that they had grown complacent and indifferent in their uh, walk with God and their religious life. It was amazing how financial prosperity and a lack of worldly need blinded them to their own spiritual needs in their personal lives. And last week I simply tried to convey to us that here in America, such a thing has happened to so many of our churches. There is such a spirit of complacency. There is such a spirit of, of disinterest and indifference toward the things of God. If things are going good, great. And if they're not going good, oh, well, it doesn't really affect them. And so many times what has caused the, the stumbling block in people's religious lives is their own financial prosperity. It's not that God is against financial prosperity. He is not against people doing well. But somehow there is a connection between prosperity and many people losing interest in the things of God. And so to the extent that God blesses us, to the extent that he blesses any of us, we must be careful to not let that influence in a negative way our spiritual lives. We must maintain a zeal. We must maintain a passion about the things of God if we're going to be what we're supposed to be. So that being said, this evening or this morning we're going to... Uh, look at one more verse of scripture that is uh, really familiar to many of us. But before we get there, uh, I want us to think about something. You know this to be true as well as I do. But throughout the course of our lives, we are going to have many different relationships and many different types of relationships with many different people. Would you agree with this? We are going to have friendships, we're going to have business relationships, we will have relationships with people in the community, we will have relationships with people in a church, we will have relationships with people in our family. Certainly there is the marriage relationship, there is the relationship between a parent and a child, the child with the parent. There are even legal relationships between our existence and this community today and the community as it relates to us. We've heard a lot about that in recent days in other parts of our nation, and so uh, throughout our daily lives, we are going to have different 
relationships and different types of relationships with many different people. Now, stating that fact, I want us to think about something. That in order for a relationship to be successful, in order for a relationship to be successful, and in order for a relationship to be everything it needs to be and ought to be, it requires both parties to invest in that relationship. Think about that. In order for a relationship to be successful, in order for a relationship to, every, to be everything that it could and should be, then both parties involved in that relationship have to invest in that relationship. It cannot be a one-way street, a single person or single entity investing in that relationship and that relationship be what it's supposed to be. To have a relationship where only one person or one side is investing in the relationship will end in total frustration or in total disaster, period, end of discussion. If you don't believe it, look at a marriage. Look at a marriage where one person is very invested in the relationship. One person truly wants to make the marriage work. One person truly wants to see the relationship in the marriage be what it's supposed to be. But the other person is not so much interested in the relationship. They're not willing to invest in the relationship. They're not willing to do what it takes to make the relationship what it's supposed to be. You know what I promise you you'll find at some point in the future? You will find someone who is completely frustrated in that relationship, or you will find a relationship that is completely dissolved because they are tired of trying to make the relationship work. I wish I could tell you the number of people who have crossed my paths, who have said something of this sort about their marriage. I am trying, but my partner, my spouse, does not seem to care. I'm trying to communicate. I'm trying to invest. I'm trying to show signs of affection. I am trying to do everything I know to do to invest in this relationship, but it's like they're not interested. You know what you sense when you're talking to this person who is investing? Much frustration because the other person isn't trying any longer. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. You might not want to incriminate thyself today. It takes two to make a successful marriage. Try having a business relationship with someone where they're not putting forth the effort they need to put forth. It will lead to a very frustrating work relationship, will it not? If you've got someone who is not willing to pull their weight, uh, it's going to cause problems with the one who is trying to pull the weight. I don't care what the relationship is. I don't care if it's with family. I don't care if it's with friends. I don't care if it's at work. I don't care if it's in a church. I don't care if it's in a community. When both parties are not investing in that relationship, you will at some point have absolute frustration or total disaster because it takes two to make it successful. 
Period. It really is that simple. Now, why mention that? Well, remember this morning that by way of the church of Laodicea, the Lord had absolutely nothing positive to say of that church. Someone says, well, that sounds so harsh. That sounds so critical. That sounds so mean-spirited. I'm sorry, but that was the Lord's assessment of things. And as I said throughout this study, if that is the Lord's assessment of a situation, then this you can know for sure. It is a correct assessment. So if the Lord did not commend them for their labor, you can be sure of this. They were not a church that labored. If the Lord did not commend them for their discernment, you can be sure that they were not a church of great discernment. If the Lord said they were lukewarm, you can be sure they were lukewarm. And so if the Lord had nothing positive to say about the church, I can promise you it's because they didn't deserve to have anything positive. Listen, said about them. The Lord reserves the right to give his opinion on the church, whether the church likes it or not. Now that in mind, I want us to think about this as well. Here is a church which we would define as a body of called out believers, correct? Now follow this train of thought, please. In order for a person to be saved, there was a moment in time, and we believe that time took place a little over 2,000 years ago. In order for a person to be saved, there had to be a moment in time where Jesus Christ entered into this world to one day die on the cross for the sins of mankind. Now, now we could just stop right there, and we could just park right there for quite a while and say something like this. I would say that God and the Lord Jesus Christ, they were heavily invested in the spiritual development of men and women in this world today. There alone, with that statement that Jesus Christ came into this world, proves that God and the Lord Jesus Christ, they were invested in the relationship between them and man. But when you consider that when Jesus Christ left the earth, it allowed for the Holy Spirit to come in the form of the Comforter and to indwell the Holy Spirit, to indwell the believers and to begin giving direction and begin giving guidance and begin giving comfort and begin giving peace. To think about everything that is afforded to the believer by way of the Holy Spirit, we would have to conclude once again, uh, I, I would say that God's pretty heavily invested in the relationship between God and man. When you think about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ established the church while He was here on this earth, you would have to say something like this. The fact that Christ would call out an assembly of believers and He would set in motion and He would give us the example for what church is supposed to look like for the ages to come, we would have to say something like this. You know what? I, I think He's interested and He's invested in the relationship between God and man. To think that they left, the, 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 the Lord left for us a, a perfect word of God for us to know the heart and the mind of God as it relates to the lives of the believers, to make sure that His word was preserved for us 2,000 years later. Friends, I, I would say right there, that is enough evidence to prove He's invested in us. 
That's pretty powerful stuff. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. When Christ ascended, the Holy Spirit came and it serves as the comforter and the indweller of the believers. He gave us a church. He gave us the Scripture. He gave us fellow believers. He has given us so much. It is hard to look at this and say, you know what, I don't think He's pulling His weight. The Lord Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit, friends, they are heavily invested in the relationship between God and man. Period. That being said, what are the Laodiceans? They're lukewarm. They're indifferent. They have no zeal. They have no passion. And by zeal and passion, please understand, I'm not talking about stupidity and craziness. People can express their zeal and their passion for something in many different ways. If you look at certain athletes, here's what you'll discover. Certain athletes, they are very passionate about the game, and there are going to be moments where their passion will be very evident for everyone to see. Yet you can look at some other athletes, and you will wonder sometimes if they have a pulse, but you will not have to wonder whether or not they have a passion for the game they are playing because of how serious they take it. Understand, please, whenever I talk about having a passion and a zeal for the church and for the things of God and for the, the, the heart of God, listen, whenever I'm talking about a zeal and a passion, I'm not talking about people who act crazy, who get loud, who get rambunctious, and, and they call that zeal and passion. But, but whenever you're talking about the Laodiceans and they had no zeal, they had no passion, it, it simply means this, and I want to reiterate this one more time, it means they just didn't care. They just didn't care. So once they left their assembly, whatever that would have looked like, they didn't care. Now here's what we know. If the Lord said, because of their lukewarm position, because of their indifference in their spiritual life toward spiritual things, if the Lord says, I will spew thee out of my mouth, we can kind of conclude this relationship isn't exactly what it ought to be. If I say to Susie this, this afternoon, you disgust me. You can probably detect we're not at our warmest moment toward each other. If I said to Susie this afternoon, you make me sick, you make me want to just vomit, you'd probably say, I'm sensing things aren't right, right there. Such conversations indicate problems. Okay, so here is Christ, here is the Lord, and he is writing this letter, or having John write this letter to the believers of Laodicea. And we already know from statements made that the Lord and God and the Holy Spirit, they are heavily invested already in the relationship between God and man. But he says, I will spew you out of my mouth. We know, okay, this, this isn't good. But amazingly, it doesn't stop there with the Lord's investment in the relationship. Well, how do we know? Look in verse number 19 of chapter 3. It 
The Lord says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. See, you've got these bleeding hearts. Somebody who just is so worried about the feelings and the emotions and the sensitivities of the people in the church. I can't believe he says, you make me sick and I'll spew thee out of my mouth. I cannot believe you'd be so harsh, Lord, as to say something like that to your dear precious people. First of all, his assessment was correct. And second of all, he's allowed to say what he wants to say because he's God. But verse number 19 reminds us that his rebuke and his chastening, it was not motivated out of anger or selfishness or anything of that nature. His rebuke and his chastening was motivated out of love. You know what the Lord is continuing to do to the Laodicean believers? He is continuing to invest in them and put forth effort into this relationship between them and God. He said, I am chastening you and I am rebuking you because I love you. If I did not love you, I would let you continue on in your lukewarm condition, in your indifferent spirit, with your apathetic attitude. If I did not love you, I wouldn't ever say anything to you, but it's because I love you that I had to say this to you. It's just like a parent with their child. It is not because I am angry with my children that I correct them. It is because I love them that I feel the need to say something to them when they're not behaving correctly. So the Lord says, it's because I love you that I have rebuked you and chastened you. And he says again in verse number 19, here is what I want for you. I want you to be zealous, therefore, and repent. Church of Laodicea, believers there in Laodicea, those of you who are lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot. Those which I would that you were cold rather than lukewarm. He said, here's all I want from you. I just want you to repent and get the passion for the things of God you once had. I'm investing in you even more. But notice in verse number 20. This is one of those passages that I think gets taken out of context many times. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who is he writing to? He is writing to believers in the church of Laodicea. This is not primarily a salvation text. This is a call for repentance, as we just saw in verse number 19. But I want us to look at this. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now follow the simple common sense logic of this statement. I stand at what door? The door of what? The door of your heart, the door of your life, and I am knocking. So Christ is not at the door of his heart knocking. He is at the door of the heart of the people knocking. Now follow the simple logic of that statement. How many of you have ever knocked on the door of someone other than your own home? Most of us have done that at least once, have we not? Now follow this, please. So very simple, yet very needed for this morning's message. In order for you to stand at the door of another person's home and knock, it required effort, not on their part, it required effort on your part. 
See, if you're sitting at the house on your couch and you remember that you need to stop in and see so-and-so, whoever that may be, here's what you've got to do. You've got to, get, uh, you've got to make up the effort and you've got to work up the effort to, to get up off of the couch, the recliner, whatever it is you may be sitting in. You have to put on your shoes. You have to go out to your car. You have to drive to their house. You have to get out at their house. You have to walk up to their door and you have to knock. It is all on you by way of effort. Listen, when we knock on someone else's door, they're not the ones putting forth the effort. Everyone knows that it's been all us who has made the effort to reach out to them. Now, why do I say that? Because here is a lukewarm church, here is an indifferent church, who has already had so much invested in them by way of God sending his son and Christ dying and then the Holy Spirit coming and setting up the church and, and, and giving us the word of God and the church and, and everything that he, he's done for us. All this has already been done, and yet here is the Lord, and he's saying, you know what? Here's why I rebuked you and chastened you. It's because I love you. Listen, it's because I, rebuked, uh, it's because I love you that I've rebuked you and I've chastened you. And not only that, I have now gone the extra mile, and I am standing at your door, knocking. He says, if any man... Hear my voice and open the door. What did the believers of Laodicea do, have to do? All they had to do was respond to the knock. And the Lord said, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Here's what the Lord said. I am standing at the door. I am knocking. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. And if you'll just hear it, all you've got to do is open up the door. And if you'll just open up the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. The Lord is saying we will have fellowship between me and you you who are lukewarm and indifferent. But notice this, please. So long as the Lord is knocking, so long as the Lord is knocking, nothing happens and nothing changes unless the lukewarm believers are willing to put forth the effort to open up their heart and let the Lord come in, not again by way of salvation, but by way of fellowship with him. What are we reminded of in this passage? We're reminded of this truth in this passage, that church of Laodicea, those of you who are lukewarm, whose riches have robbed you and blinded you to your need of spiritual growth in your life, Understand this, believers of Laodicea, in order for your relationship with the Lord to be right, it cannot be him putting forth all the effort. You have to invest in this relationship as well. You have to respond to the knocking. You have to respond to the voice. You have to respond to the invitation. At some point, believers of Laodicea, you have to respond and put forth some effort in order for this relationship to be what it's supposed to be. Why is that so important? 
Because we understand today that if anything were to identify the churches of America today, for so many it would have to be the church of Laodicea. I said last week that I don't believe for a moment that every church in America would resemble the church of Laodicea, but many churches in our culture today resemble the church of Laodicea, which means this, many churches are lukewarm and indifferent to the things of God. You cannot be honest in your evaluation of churches and not conclude that. People are lukewarm, they are indifferent, and here's the amazing thing. It is not because the Lord has not made effort to make the relationship right. God has given them the very same thing that he has given every other believer, whether it be in America or someone else in the world. God has given them Jesus Christ. He has given them the Holy Spirit. He has given them the Word of God. He has given them the church. He has given them fellow believers. He has given them everything they need to have a right relationship with him but something has choked it out. And again, for many, it is wealth and prosperity which creates in them this spirit of indifference and apathy. But here's what I want us to see, that the only thing believers have to do today in order to be made right with Jesus Christ is respond to his invitation. Let's have fellowship. But at some point... There has to be effort on the part of the believer sitting in the church. The Lord can stand there and knock all day, but if the person doesn't respond, then the fellowship will never, ever be restored. Why? Because it is absolutely impossible, even in a relationship with the Lord, for it to be everything it's supposed to be when only the Lord is the one investing in that relationship. It is amazing the number of people who will say things like this. You know, my relationship with the Lord just doesn't seem like what it used to seem like. My relationship with the Lord doesn't feel like what it used to feel like. It, it, it doesn't do for me what it seems it used to do for me. Can I, under, can I remind us of something? Again, I know you understand this. Whenever the relationship with the Lord is not right, it's not because of something he's failed to do in the relationship. When a person's relationship with the Lord is not what it's supposed to be, it is not because the Lord has failed to properly invest in that relationship. The Lord does everything he can to invest in the relationship with people he does everything he can, but in order for the relationship to be successful in what it's supposed to be, people must respond and invest in that relationship as well. And so this morning, I'd, I'd like to close with this thought, and it's not going to be something that we rush through, but I, I want us to think about this thought. This morning, I want to ask you about your relationship with Christ. I want to ask you about your relationship with Christ. Now, we could take this message and we could begin addressing the subject of salvation because that is the most important aspect of anyone's spiritual life. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have called out to Jesus Christ in humility and asked the Lord to save you from your sins? All the effort's been made by Him in this matter. He's done everything he can do to this point. So the, the question has to be answered, 
Have you responded? Have you responded to the effort he's already put forth? Now, here's what most of you would say. I would suspect this morning. Well, yeah, brother Kyle, pastor, I've, I've done that. I'm already saved. I'm already a child of God. That's that's taken care of in my life. Good. How's your relationship with the Lord? See, if you're indifferent toward the things of God, your relationship with the Lord is not good. If your relationship with the Lord is, is just indifferent, if your relationship with the Lord and the things of God is just eh, whatever, your relationship is not right. Follow this, please. As, as mentioned last week, if you can come to church just out of routine, your relationship with the Lord is not right. If you can go through your days and not spend time in the Word of God and you're indifferent toward that, your relationship with the Lord is not right. If you can go through your daily routine, if you can go throughout your daily life without spending time in prayer, your relationship is not right. If you can go through your daily life unconcerned about your spiritual progress, you're indifferent toward that, your relationship with the Lord is not right. If you can go through your daily life looking around and seeing the lack of spiritual progress in the lives of other people and it not bother you, then there's something not right in your relationship with Him. If you can sit through a church service this morning completely distracted and completely disinterested in what's going on and you're somewhat bored and you're somewhat yawning in your mind and you're just ready for this to be over with, guess what? You're not right with the Lord. It's really simple. And yet here's the thing. The only thing that will make the relationship right is if we choose to respond to the calling out, if we choose to respond to his calling out to us. See, if you'd sit here this morning and say something like this, you know, really, it's probably not as good as it should be. It's really not as right as it ought to be. You know, my relationship with the Lord isn't as strong as it ought to be. Listen, it's not his fault. It's our fault. Which means he is knocking at our heart saying, just open the door. Just just let me in and I'll come in and I'll sup with you and, and we'll have fellowship. It is not because he's not investing. If my relationship or your relationship with the Lord is not what it's supposed to be, it's because I'm not putting forth the effort or you're not putting forth the effort that relationship needs. Well, I'm putting forth the effort, but I'm just not feeling much. You know what you're doing? You're lying to yourself. Because I can promise you, if he's putting forth the effort, and we know that he is, and you're putting forth the effort the way you really ought to be putting forth the effort, then you will not be able to have anything but a successful and good relationship with God. So you can sit there and say, well, I'm doing everything I know to do, Pastor. I mean, I've done everything. I'm just basically there's nothing I could be doing anything better or anything different. It's just really I'm doing about as good as I could do, and it's still just not right. Well, you're a liar. Because 
If he's investing, and we know that he is, and you're investing, the relationship will be right. You know why spiritual relationships between a person and the Lord don't last? You know why you see so many people fall out? You, see, you, you know why you see so many people who were once in church who are now not in church? It's not because the Lord quit investing in the relationship. It's because the person quit investing in the relationship, period. You know if your relationship with the Lord is right. You know if the relationship with the Lord is what it's supposed to be. You know whether or not he, you are responding to his effort to call out to you. You know. You know. What's your relationship with the Lord like? Whether it be in the matter of salvation or whether it be in the matter of daily fellowship with the Lord. What is your relationship like? Because if it's not right, it's because you're not investing in the relationship as you should because you're not responding to his invitation as you could. All right? Let's all stand this morning and have a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you would help us to be men and women who look at our relationship with you or that you'd help us to consider whether or not it's what it's supposed to be, if it's what it ought to be. And Lord, if there's an area of our life and our relationship